Radio, deepening understanding, making connections. Good morning, everyone, or good afternoon, actually. This is uh, Indigo Radio. This is on, we're on WVEWLP Brattleboro, 107.7 FM, your community radio station. Also streaming online at www.vew.org. This is Indigo Radio, deepening understanding, making connections on the air every Sunday at noon. We are a group of educators seeking to learn through engaging with others in our community and throughout the world. You can also find us on Facebook at Indigo Radio and on Instagram. The views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the hosts and guests, not of the radio station. Welcome back to Indigo Radio. I'm Nick. Becca's in the studio with us, and we have Ziad Abbas Shamrush with us today. <clears throat> if you want to get, do you want to give us an overview of last week's radio show? Well, yeah. Okay. And before we begin, I was trying to think of like, what can we do? It's April Fool's Day, right? Uh. What can we do on the radio? <laughs> so instead, I just wanted to um, mention that this is something from when I looked it up online this morning. It's something from medieval times in Europe that they wanted the day where they could play a friendly prank on one another and shout out April Fools. And so I just had to say, I'm really happy that I'm not in school today with my middle schoolers <laughs> on a day that is celebrated as April Fools. Instead, I'm so much happier to be here with you all at Indigo Radio. All right. We're happy to be here too. And so last week on the show, it was part two of a show about gun <coughs> violence. Part one was about the student walkouts. And part two, our hosts, Nina and Anna, broadened the conversation to make connections between domestic gun violence, the global arms trade, and imperialism. So check out that show on our Facebook page or um, on our SoundCloud. You can find it recorded or podcast. All right. Well, today we have Ziad Abbas Shamrush with us today. We're so happy to have him in the studio with us here in Brattleboro. He is the program manager for cross-cultural programs. He's a Palestinian refugee from Dehesha refugee camp in the West Bank. He's the co-founder of Ibda Cultural Center in Dehesha. He's also a filmmaker, journalist, and educator who's worked with Palestinian and international media and has participated in the production of several documentary films. He was the, uh, excuse me, so he's in the studio with us today. We're so happy to have him here with us. He actually was with us all week um, around the area, around New England, in New York, on a speaking tour, speaking out stories about Palestine. So what we wanted to do was give you a little bit of an update about what's happening in Palestine right now. Uh, Saturday, yesterday, there was a general strike held in the West Bank and in Gaza. Uh, in mourning over the death of 17 Palestinians who were shot and killed, murdered by the Israeli uh, state gunfire during Land Day. So there was a Land Day rally held in Gaza on Friday, which is March 30th. March 30th every year commemorates Land Day, which is an annual commemoration for Palestinians um, about the same events which took place in 1976. In 1976, the Israeli state announced a plan to expropriate and steal thousands of dunams of land for settlement purposes. And, and dunams uh, is acres, is that correct? No, almost like that. Yeah. Mm. So uh, on that day in 1976, a general strike and protests were held, and six Palestinian people were killed. And so from that day forward, Land Day has been continually commemorated. 
So on Friday, at least 17 uh, Palestinian people were shot dead by the Israeli occupying forces, more than 1,500 injured as the Israeli forces opened fire towards unarmed, unarmed peaceful protesters using rubber bullets. Um, they have a new drone, I guess. They're dropping tear gas from the sky now instead of shooting them from canisters. Mm. <clears throat> and so Palestinians across the world continue to mourn they continue to resist the occupation and theft of their land. And the Great m Return March began on Friday and will hopefully continue until at least May 15th. And on May 15th, which hopefully Ziad will talk to us about in a little bit, will be the 70th anniversary of the Nakba, or the Great Catastrophe, when Palestinians were forcibly displaced from 531 villages in their historic homeland of Palestine. And it was actually kind of amazing last night. I was, uh, after the event we had yesterday at Marlboro, uh, Marlboro Grad School, I was looking up uh, just what's been happening all day on, on Twitter and on Instagram, and I found this post from the IDF. Mm -hmm. And the IDF had said that they have 100 snipers on the other side of the border with permission to fire at people at will and they announced that yesterday that they knew, quote, where each bullet landed. Wow. So that's really pretty sad. Um, and the IDF, for people who don't know, is the Israeli Defense Forces, or what a lot of people right. call the occupying forces. Right. So we're gonna go to a song break right now. Uh, we're gonna play Low Key. The song is Long Live Palestine, and we will be back with Ziad. Yeah. This is for Palestine, the Marla, Westcamp, Gaza. This is for the child that is searching for the answer. With a shock at taking tears and replace them with laughter. Long live Palestine, long live Gaza. Palestine, the Marla, Westcamp, Gaza. This is for the child that is searching for the answer. With a shock at taking tears and replace them with laughter. Long live Palestine. While we listen to tunes made by ignorant fools Israel blocked the UN from delivering food They bring in the troops and you won't even glimpse at the news They make money off the products that we're quick to consume And it's not simply a question of different views Forget emotions, this is facts, what I spit is the truth Makes no difference if you're a Christian or if you're a Jew They're just people living in different conditions to you They still die when you bomb their schools Mosques and hospitals, it's not because of rockets Please God, can you stop this all? I'm not related to the strangers on the TV, but I relate, cause those strangers could have been me, words could never ever explain the raw tragedy, no. it's not a war, they're just murdering more rapidly, and we're automatically supporting pure savagery, imagine how you feel if this was your family. In my heart forever we stand for peace Times of war we shan't surrender Remember it didn't start in this dark December Every coin is a bullet if you're Marks and Spencer And when you're sipping Coca-Cola That's another pistol in the holster of them soulless soldiers You say you know about the Zionist lobby But you put money in their pocket when you're buying their coffee 
Talking about revolution, sitting in Starbucks The fact is, that's the type of thinking I can't trust Let alone even start to respect Before you talk, learn the meaning of that scarf on your neck Forget Nestle, Obama Promise Israel, 30 billion over the next decade They're trigger happy and they're crazy Think about that when you're putting Huggies nappies on your baby Just a war over stolen land Why do you think little boys are throwing stones at tanks? And we'll never really know how many people are dead They drop bombs on innocent girls while they sleep in their bed Don't get offended by facts, just try and listen Nothing is more anti-Semitic than Zionism So please don't bring bad vibes when you speak to me There's plenty of rabbis that agree with me It's your choice what you do with this message Don't get it confused, I view this from a human perspective How many more resolutions have to be violated? How many more children have to be annihilated? Israel is a terror state, they're terrorists that terrorise I testify my television, televised and telling lies This is not a war, it is systematic change Genocide, but whatever they try, Palestine will never die. Palestine, Ramallah, West Bank, Gaza This is for the child that is searching for an answer Wish I could take your tears and replace them with laughter Long live Palestine, long live Gaza Palestine, Ramallah, West Bank, Gaza This is for the child that is searching for an answer Wish I could take your tears and replace them with laughter Long live Palestine, long live Gaza Welcome back. You're listening to Indigo Radio on 107.7 FM, Brattleboro Community Radio Station. That song was Low Key, Long Live Palestine. And he does talk about Gaza, the West Bank, Ramallah, but he doesn't uh, unfortunately say anything about the refugees outside of Palestine, like in Syria, where people are still losing their homes, in Lebanon, where people are living really difficult lives, unable to work, and across the world. So we have Ziad Abbas in the studio with us today. Welcome. Sabah khair. Thank you for having me. Okay. So, so Ziad, we wanted to start out by talking about the significance of land, both historically and today. Yeah. Uh, uh, actually, for me, I don't know exactly what is the meaning to have a land because all my life I am a Palestinian refugee. And I'm, a living, I'm living in a refugee camp. But I remember when I was a child, like my mom, there's tiny beast near our uh, uh, room, the United Nations room inside the camp. There was tiny, tiny beast of land where my mom every day almost like doing something. They're planting and taking care for tiny plants or sometimes vegetables, few plants of vegetables, cucumber or eggplant or tomato. My mom, she grew up as a farmer, and so she needs to be connected in a way or another. And sometimes she has this kind of plastic uh, cans, mm -hmm. like a can, where she uh, uses it to plant uh, other kind of vegetables. 
vegetables. And later on, when I grew up, you can see how the camp start changing a little bit because uh, the Nakba generation, the catastrophe generation, they were farmers. They were very connected to their land. So they started planting some trees, fruits inside the camp. I learned a lot about the land, about land, through the Nakba generation because this is the time where we used to enjoy it when they tell the stories how they used to live in the village and how they used to live and uh, work in the land and especially the harvest season. When they go, they stay in the land. Right now, the people, they say here, we are going camping, but in the, there, for them, they are not that much far from their houses, but they used to sleep during the harvest as a community. All the village, they are together there. and. During the day they work, at the evening they cook, and they dance, they have the dabka, etc. Uh, the way how I understood it, understood from my mom and her generation, land means freedom. Mm -hmm. And this is a grow up uh, with me. I can talk a lot about what it means to be a refugee, but to be a farmer and connected to a land, I don't know. I'm trying to figure out. This is why I'm struggling to return back to our land, to our village, and maybe Later, I can say what it means to have a piece of land and to have to live in your land and to be free with your land. Uh, others, I can say what I learned from other uh, writers and Palestinian writers. Land, it means the spirit. Mm -hmm. All the time, it's the spirit inside you. If you are without land or you are your land actually confiscated, you lost your land, someone took it from you. All the time you feel you are, you, you are hurt, you have a, something wrong in your spirit and you are missing something, you need it back in order to feel you are uh, a human being and you can access your right as a human being. This is the meaning. Now, land under occupation. Uh, Israel, since the beginning, they were targeting uh, our land. They want this land without people for what they claimed, the Zionist movement, in 18th century even. They were claiming this Palestine is a land without people for people without land, which means the Jewish people all over the world. And their, their plans, it was very clear to take the land from Palestinian before 1948. <coughs> and during the catastrophe, this is what they did when they uh, established Israel, when they uprooted 750,000 Palestinian refugees from 531 villages, towns, and cities, what's called right now Israel. And still they continue to do that. If you follow the news every day, the Israelis, they confiscate more land, expand settlements. Two days ago, three days ago, they were expanding 700 units in a settlement near Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. So they are targeting still, they didn't finish their, the, the plan, and their plan is to have this land out of Palestinian people, to try to kick as much as they, they can out of Palestine and they, to take more land from Palestinian people. Mm. And it's um, just thinking about how for centuries now there's been the dis dispossession of land and uprooting people from the land, and we're seeing that happen every day now in Palestine and other places in the world like Brazil. Um, and one thing that really sticks out to me is the connections between settler colonialism here in the United States and what's happening right now in Palestine and thinking about dispossession of land as one of the major reasons for people's suffering. 
Yeah, actually, yesterday we had this workshop where we had the training, and this is like for a long time, I to meet with some Native American, and when we start sharing the way how we were like experienced me in my life, how I experienced to be a refugee and far from the land, the same for the Native American. Absolutely, land uh, uh, is targeted here as, and we saw what happened in, uh, for the Native American uh, in, um, uh <coughs> on this land and how they, they target to take the land from the people at the same time to, to take the resources underground, whatever they have underground, and to have it and to control everything. In our case, the same. Israel, they try to take the land and take all the resources. One of the main issues right now we are uh, facing as Palestinian is the water issue, Maya. Mm -hmm. The water issue is, for example, Israel, we have uh, eight aquifers in Palestine, four inside Israel, three in West Bank, and one in Gaza. One in Gaza is polluted. Between 90 to 95% of the water is polluted, so the people, they can't access clean water. But the other seven aquifers, which it will be enough for all Palestinians, for everyone living in that part of the land and the other countries around us. We have a lot of water resources, but the Israelis, they control these resources. Not just they control it. They use 85% of the water for them, for their settlers. They are living in West Bank. At the same time, this water, the resource, we are the market for them. They sell it back. Our water, they take it, they sell it back to us. And, and we pay at least three times more than the Israelis, Israeli Jews, what they pay. Mm -hmm. for to get the same amount of water, we pay three times, even it, it is our, our uh, uh, water. At the same time, for the, and the uh, other side, it's about land itself. For Israelis, they can take a, uh, confiscate a land, which whatever reason they can use. They have different kind of reasons. They put the laws. They make it easy to confiscate any land, any house from Palestinian. And they can build settlements. Or any Israeli want to expand a house, they apply for a permission, they get the permission. But Palestinian, they are not allowed. It's not easy to get a permit from Israeli to expand the house or to use by your land to build the house mm -hmm. or even sometimes to plant your, to take care of your land. Many people like because as a result of the wall, the wall they are building right now, which is around 460 miles long, eight meters high. This wall, it's not on the borders between 1967 and 1948 area, which is West Bank and the border of uh, Israel. It's inside the Palestinian land. And many Palestinian farmers in north of West Bank, for example, uh, the, the, the wall <coughs> is a barrier for them. They cannot access their land because they are living in one side and their land in the other side. Mm -hmm. So they lost the land too. And this is like, it's uh, the way how the Israelis strategize and you know, targeting the land because they know which part of the land they need. And how many uh, to keep the people, the Palestinian people out? There is many Palestinian people living in certain area. They try to exclude them. They can take the land, but keep the people out, and they can't access uh, the land. And for us, um, like the Palestinian lawyers, and sometimes even international lawyers, they try to uh, to defend the Palestinian. But where you will defend? It's Israeli laws, Israeli judge, Israeli persecutor. It's they, they own everything. Sometimes, sometimes, like, they make it like, okay, looks like it's, they are fair, they have a justice system, but in reality, it's part of the colonial system, it's part of the ethnic cleansing policy. The court is not that much 
different at all. These kind of laws, it's Israeli laws. And Israeli laws to target the Palestinian land. And that's not just uh, building new structures. That's even catching rainwater, right? I've seen videos online where people have tried to catch water in cisterns or catch water in, in small reservoirs, and those are completely demolished directly by the Israeli military, even though they're on Palestinian land. Yeah, actually, if we go back to the history, the way how the Israel is uh, targeting, for example, uh, the land, it's to targeting the water resources. They make it difficult for the people to access water underground. And the, actually, among the military orders they used, even after 1948 and 1967 war, among the first few military laws, I remember the, uh, the military order number 92 after 67, it's targeting the water. You are not allowed to dig a well in your land mm. unless you have a permit from the Israelis. Mm. And if you do that, you will be jailed in a military court mm. if you do that. Uh, the way how it is sometimes, just to make a description, to make it more clear, for the Israelis, I say that all the time, for the Israelis when they want to build a, a new house, first they build a shelter because they think about war. So mm. in, the, in the foundation of their ha uh, the houses, they build the shelter from strong concrete. And if there is a war, so they will be safe. Palestinian right now, if they succeed to have a permit and they want to build the house, what do you think they build first? They build the well where they can <laughs> store the water. Mm. Yeah, and for the Israelites, they, they are looking for war, so they want to feel secure. For Palestinian, they want to survive. They want to have uh, water, and this is where they target the water, uh, the rain. Mm -hmm. When it's uh, during the winter, so the rain can go to the well, they can access the water during summer. And later, Israel is actually, they have a new order. If you want to build a house and you are planning to build the well, you need to ask for a permit for the well to make it difficult. Sometimes you have a right to, they give you a permit to build the house, sometimes, rarely actually give you a permit to build a house, but they will not give you a permit to build a well. Mm. Even in my camp, I don't need to apply for the Israelis <coughs> to build a house. But even for that, even we are living in a refugee camp, we build the well. Mm -hmm. The other thing it's uh, because the Israelis, they want this land without people. Water is one of the main issues. They use it as part of collective punishment to punish mm -hmm. the people, to make it difficult for them to survive and to live in that land. For in my In my camp, if you look to the roofs of the houses, you will not find any house inside my refugee camp. Actually, in all West Bank and Gaza, you have water tanks in all the roofs of the houses. And uh, we have a 12 water tanks. I speak about a huge tanks. So you can have five people in the tank. Mm -hmm. It's a huge tank. And so we have a 12 in the roof of our house. So we can keep the water. We can access the water because sometimes they cut the water. We don't get the water uh, for us. Sometimes during the collective punishment when they impose care for you, they target, they shoot the water tanks. Wow. As, and there are actually many testimonies from the Israeli soldiers for Israeli human rights organization called Beit Salem, and it's in, based in uh, Jerusalem, and they documented many testimonies from Israeli soldiers They served in the Israeli army that they received orders from their officers to target the water tanks even they are punishing the people to uh, impose care for you on them, but make it difficult for them to live there. Mm -hmm. 
And that was also, correct me if I'm wrong, part of the plan to get people to move off of their land even in 48 and before 48 was targeting water sources. Yeah, uh, absolutely. In 1948, actually, part of the ethnic cleansing to make it, because most of the CM people, they were farmers. If you look about the, the number of the towns and the majority of uh, towns and cities, the majority of the Palestinian people, they were farmers living in, vi in villages. So, and they were dependent on the springs and the water resources. The Zionist groups in 1947, 48, they were targeting these water resources and uh, the wells and destroy it actually. So the farmers with their, uh, whatever they have, goats or cows on their land, they can't access the water and make it difficult for them to live. The same later on, even when they attacked, for example, South Lebanon, Mm. They used the Litani River. There is mm. a river in Litani, and they, they used to bump the water from Litani uh, to inside Israel. Look for Golan Heights. Why Israel giving Golan Heights mm. in Syria, from Syria until now, which was occupied in 1967? Because Golan Heights, it's very high. Uh, 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 it's a big resource of water, mm. like for them, and it's most of the water going to Tiberia Lake. Mm. The same what they are doing, banishing the Palestinian people, at the same time banishing the Jordanian, because the Jordanian River <laughs> is a start in the Tiberia Lake. Mm. The Israelites, they have a special doors where they control how much Jordan, Jordan can receive water. Wow. And this is still uh, a huge issue like mm. uh, for them. Yeah, absolutely, this is BART. They, they, they target the people and to make it difficult for them. If you don't have water, you can survive. Right. In 1948, there are many laws, too, targeting the Palestinian community inside Israel, which they can't access the water. And don't forget, you have over uh, almost 200,000, maybe, the, I'm not accurate about the number exactly here, but what's called unrecognized villages. These are the Palestinian. They uprooted from their villages, and some of them living not that much far from their village. Mm -hmm. But they can't access any kind of services, no water, no electricity, no sewage system, nothing, despite the fact they vote in the election and they pay taxes. Wow. I mean, I can't help but thinking how <coughs> people just trying to survive are criminalized, while at the same time, people who own companies can steal resources. Like in Lake mm -hmm. Michigan, when the Flint water crisis happened <coughs> and Nestle is pumping get millions of gallons of water per minute from Lake Michigan and then mm. selling it back to people in Flint. Mm. And they're taking the water for free. Yeah. So me as someone coming from Michigan, a corporation is benefiting off the water that should be everyone's around it and then selling it and making a huge profit mm. while people who are just trying to survive are criminalized on a daily basis. Yeah, I actually I saw a report uh, a few days ago about many locations in the United States where the people they can't access clean uh, access clean of water because they dump all these chemical w stuff in the water resources mm -hmm. and it's it's impact people and it reminds me what happened with the Flint when the people they were suffering and of course we saw in the media how everyone during the election campaign and uh, related to Flint and how everyone bring the water bottles. I remember like my, one of my colleagues, she's working in Gaza, and she wrote a, la a letter to organizations in Flint about the water issue, because in Gaza, they have uh, this problem since long time. Yeah. And this is part of our work, actually, in Mecca, where I work right now in Middle Eastern Alliance, where we build water purification and desalinization systems. 
This is an issue it's all over where private companies or you have a colonial system like Israel, mm -hmm. the way how they uh, try to, uh, the way they try to control all the water resources and make it difficult for the people to live and survive. At the same time, use the uh, oppressed people as a market where they can make a benefit, sell mm -hmm. them whatever. Like the 15% we receive water from our resources, what Israel they allowed, still they make a lot of money with yeah. it. Mm -hmm. The same right now what they do for Gaza for electricity. But see, people in Gaza, there is no electricity in Gaza. Three to four hours every day. Imagine your life, you have three to four hours electricity every day. Mm -hmm. Over two million people right now. For years, this is the way how it's functioned because the Israelis, they destroyed the, 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 the generators there and uh, um, and of course the sewage system is not functioning well in Gaza because the infrastructure to treat the uh, uh, sewage system it's not functioning, no electricity, how they will do that. Yeah. So the pollution is very high and among the young among young deaths in Gaza, 12 percent they are children and they die from diarrhea, diarrhea, diarrhea related to the water and water is become a huge problem in uh, in Gaza. In USA, absolutely, they are like, I remember when I saw this uh, report, one of the reports, the way how they show the water, it's a blue water, brown water, mm. and they can't drink it where they go, some of the families, they go down <coughs> and they have their big water tanks, put it under rain so it will fill, or they can't get a clean water to drink. They need mm. to drive a few miles to get the water to drink. This is here. I don't remember Missouri uh -huh. or other state where people they, they have a problem to access clean water because many factories dump their chemical stuff in the water resources and the water pipes it's rusted, old, and they didn't change it. Did you all hear about the man who's on hunger strike right now in prison in the United States? He got a bunch of water bottles donated to them that he kept in his cell to give out to other prisoners mm. because the water that they were given was like had so much stuff in it, it wasn't clear. Mm. And so he got put into solitary confinement for giving pri other prisoners water, clean water to drink. And so now he's in solitary confinement and he's on hunger strike right now. It was like the 11th or 12th day of hunger strike. Mm. So we'll try to find out on our song break <coughs> where that is exactly. So we're going to go to a song by Shadia Mansour featuring Dead Prez. It's called Al Kufiya Arabiya. صباح الخير يا بلاد عمومنا تفضلوا شرفونا شو بتحب مضيفكم دم عربي ولا دموع من عيوننا بعتقد هيك تأملوا نستقبل من هيك تعقدوا لما تدركموا على غلطتن من هيك لبسنا الكوفيه البيضة والسودة صاروا كلاب الزمان يلبسوها كموضة مهما تفننوا فيها مهما غيروا بلونة كوفية عربية بالضلع عربية حطتنا بدن إياه ثقافتنا بدن إياه كرامتنا بدن إياه كل شيء لنا بدن إياه ما راح نسكت لن نسمح لن ليك ليك لا بقلن يسرقوا شغلي مش إلهن ما خصن فيه هلدونان بلتبس لبس بهالأرض بكفي هنش طمعانين عالقدس قدس عرفوا كيف كونوا ببشر وغصب عن أبوهم هاي حطتنا من هيك لبسنا الكوفي لأننا وطنية الكوفي كوفي عربي من هيك لبسنا الكوفي هويتنا الأساسية الكوفي كوفي عربي يلا علي الكوفي علولي هالكوفي الكوفي كوفي عربي علوه هلا بلاد الشام كوفي عربي 
بالسماء انا هشاه ضيا كل عرب الثاني بحس غزب الثاني بهز هكلي ماتي حرب سجل انا شاد يا منصور والحطة هويتي من يوم ما خلقت سيدي والشعب مسؤوليتي لك انا تربيت بين الغرب وبين الشر بين لغتين بين بين بخيل بين فقير شفت الحياة من الشقتين انا مثل الكوفية كيف ما لبستوني وين ما شلحتوني بضلني عاوصولي فلسطينية من هيك لبسنا الكوفية لانا وطنية الكوفية Welcome back. This is Indigo Radio on 107.7 FM, Brattleboro Community Radio Station. Today we're talking to Ziad Abbas Shamrush. He is a Palestinian refugee from Dehesha Camp in the West Bank, and he is talking to us about land and what's happening in Gaza. Um, we're happy to have him here today. Yeah, thank you so much. So, Ziad, in this next segment, we wanted to talk a little bit about um, life as political and what um, influenced you to become political. What events happened in your life that made you become <laughs> a political person? <laughs> yeah, it's, um, yeah, I know sometimes when the people, they ask this kind of question, the answer very simple for me, just it was happened since I was born in the refugee camp. This is how it is. I, never, I don't remember anything like there's specific event happened in my life that motivated me. Just I find myself growing up in a refugee camp and when I was a child actually, I thought the end of the earth is the borders of the camp. I don't know anything outside the camp. This is my world is inside the camp and your daily struggle and before we were speaking about water for example to uh, be a child living in a ref with the refugee family you are dependent united nation so every day you need to go wait in line to receive the food from united nation and of course uh, you can't shower every day or anytime you want you shower one time a week because uh, my mom and my sister, they used to carry the water on their head and walk miles, two miles to three miles every day, a few times a day, just to bring water for us to survive. In addition to that, you have the military occupation all the time, the soldiers moving around inside the camp. And many times when I was a child, actually, they uh, invaded our tiny, I can't say a house because we don't have a house. We had a room. We are living in one room and you find them inside. One of the things actually to go back in my memories, like um, even when I was working as a journalist and sometime I used to work with the camera, I was and I was filming soldiers when they were during the protests in Palestine. All the time I go behind the soldiers and I put the camera on the floor, on the ground, just I want to film their boots. <laughs> and it reminds me with the scene like grew up with me when I was a child I was sleeping inside the room I was sick a little bit and when I wake up the army they were inside my my our room and 
they were they want to arrest my brother and when i opened my eyes i was scared and the things the moment i opened my eyes i saw the boot of the soldiers like it was looking me i can see that the, the, it's a boot but i can't see anything but i see like the flashes of the uh, lights in, in the hands of the soldiers this is what I, this is one of the incidents like I can't say. I remember when I was a child, block my eyes. And all the time I'm attacked, actually, attached to that when I do filming. All the time I want to film between the two legs or the boots mm -hmm. coming to my mind. Uh, political, I say it all the time. My mom, because I'm the youngest one in my family, she doesn't want me to be involved in politics like my brothers and sisters. She wants me to be just focused on education. But my mom, she failed. She couldn't do that because she couldn't control everything in my life, and especially she couldn't control the streets. And in our case, we Palestinian refugees, we didn't choose to be political activists or politicians or to be part of the struggle. In our case, actually, the politics chose us. And you grow up in this community, you find yourself, you need to respond, you need to act, you need to move and suddenly like even when we were children to go to jail when you are very young not just jail actually before you go to jail you were under care for you all everyone in the community stuck in their houses for weeks you are not allowed to leave your house so everyone is in prison but later on when you grow up like 12 13 years old many children i saw many friends they were went to jail when they were 11 or 12 but in my case i went to jail the first time i was 13 and a half and uh, you find yourself, um, you find your ch childhood actually very short or actually you are a child without a childhood mm -hmm. and you find yourself involved in this kind. First, there is a survival issue to live with your family and to get the basic needs, water, food, and to survive. Second, you need to fight this uh, kind of oppression. Mm -hmm. You can't accept it's, uh, it's, I, can't, I can't describe someone live in under oppression or defeated. You feel defeated, hopeless case. It's not possible. And despite the fact we are living in very bad conditions, but I am so proud of our community too. Mm -hmm. uh, like in, in, in our refugee camp, everyone is very supportive. People, they take care of each other, support each other, share with each other. And this is how we survived. And this is how the Nakba, the catastrophe generation survived because we had very, very strong women. They took care of the family. And these women like keep the community strong and build the collective community where they can, we can survive and grow up. I don't know my dad, so I can speak about how my mom managed that. Mm -hmm. And she was the major player in my life and my brothers and sisters too. So politics here in our case, in Palestinian case, or in any case, actually not just Palestinian, everywhere when people live under oppression, sometimes you don't have the choice. Yeah. And to make it like intellectuals, what they say, like the conditions which people they live under influence their respective decisions and actions. Mm. It's an intellectual understanding maybe for people who No, the idea me, I hate to use that yeah. because, but sometimes these are like where in all over the world, you see this, and I know, because for certain people, we Belarusian people or people living under oppression, we are like a subject they can study us. Mm, yeah. So sometimes to make it to them to them easy, hey, you cannot blame the Belarusian people because why are these children throwing stones? Mm. 
because this is according to your analysis, like these are the conditions they are live under. So this is why they do that. This is why they take this kind of action, throwing stone. This is why they are protesting. This is why they think about their land and their freedom, because they are living in this condition. Sometimes you need to, to, to use this. Sometimes, I say, just to make it easy for other people, like maybe someone in Brattleboro. Uh-oh, what they are saying? Which kind of fear is this? No. Yeah, and I was talking to someone last night about how everything that we interpret comes from our own experiences. And so people who we meet, who I meet on the streets are saying to me, I'm not, polit- I'm not into politics, so let's not have that conversation mm. because it's not their daily lived experience under occupation. And so I'm wondering, like, how do we push people to see that their lives are political every time that we interact with people? For me, I don't say I am a political activist at all. Mm-hmm. I am not, and I don't want to be. But this is my life. Mm-hmm. This is how I live. I understand the people when they want to be a political activist. I'm not against it. I support. That's great. But in our case, this is our life. This is how we live. No matter where you live, you are a Palestinian refugee. Mm-hmm. You are some, or you are African-American. You are a Native American. You are a Latino. Mm-hmm. And when you look about, when you just look around you, how you live, or look at the, try to understand the system, controlling you, you find you are different. Mm. And this is how it is. This is how we are. All the time we need to respond. When you go to the airport, all the time you look, oh, oh I am different. I am, it's not the easy pass. All the time you think about it. Mm-hmm. Because the whole system you are living with, no matter if you are Palestinian or you are, but this is our life. <clears throat> yeah. It reminds me actually of yesterday. Ziad showed us a video in the workshop Um, showing what was happening in Gaza now, and an older Palestinian woman was saying, we have nothing left, we only have the air we breathe. And so what else do we have to lose for people to see, right, that this struggle is important and that we're dying. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was interesting also because the connection, like you were saying, Becca, to Native Americans. Uh, A Native American woman yesterday in the workshop was saying that in on even on reservations, natives only own the top six inches of the land. They don't own what's underneath it, and now the government is buying what's in the airwaves above them. And so imagine how constricted people feel, and to have children throwing stones and uh, be incarcerated for throwing stones because maybe their parents can't, you know, work, maybe they don't have food, maybe their brothers and sisters are in prison, um, and to be, to be tried in a military court where you're a child being tried in a military court under a state that's not yours, but the land is yours, mm-hmm. and you're, you, it's possible that you'd be sent to prison for 10 years for throwing a stone in the face of a tank, right? And that example of only owning this top six inches really, to me, clarifies what the purpose of this system is to control the resources. Mm-hmm. It's a colonial law that was put in place so that any company could go in and take the resources under uh, indigenous people's land anywhere mm-hmm. in the world, right? Yeah. And so if there's a colonial law put in place that you only own the top six inches, corporations can go in like the Navajos taking the uranium mm-hmm. whenever they want. And it doesn't matter whose life is destroyed in the process. Mm. I would say to the corporations, it does matter to mm. us here. <laughs> of course. Yeah. 
Okay, so we're going to go to a song break. We're going to play a song by Marcel Khalife. It's called Passport, but actually it was a poem written by the famous Palestinian poet Mahmoud Darwish. Um, so we're going to play that for you now. It's a bit of a long song. Check it out on YouTube. We're only going to play a part of it. We're here with Ziad Abbas. You were just listening to Marcel Khalife, Passport. Uh, that's actually a poem written by the famous Palestinian poet Mahmoud Darwish. Check it out on YouTube. There is English translation. So we're in the studio with Ziad. Ziad was here all week, actually, with us on a speaking tour. Um, we were in Boston. We were in Amherst. Um, on Friday night, we were in Keene, and actually tomorrow night you can join us. We're going to be in Northampton at First Churches on Main Street. Uh, there is a panel on occupation and resistance. Ziad will be on a panel with um, a few other people, um, two, two uh, indigenous women uh, from the Americas, and Assis Castellanos, who is from Honduras. And so one thing that's been amazing for me, I was lucky to have Ziad come into my class and talk with my middle school students. And 
the things that really stuck out to them that they don't the stories that they heard they don't believe anyone should be living through that that there's no justification for them whatever the justification of why you were removed from your land in 48 doesn't like they don't believe it and so that's really um, powerful and the, a lot of there were a lot of connections made this week to um, what's happening in Palestine and to the refugees and what's happening in different places around the world, the connection of struggles. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, uh, actually, it's I say it all the time for the for people like us. I'm not saying it's easy, but I prefer to be in the side where to. I'm not looking to justify my struggle. I say to the people, I don't want to justify my struggle. It is my struggle. I don't have to prove or uh, to anyone this is like the right struggle. No, it's our reality. We are struggling to the basic rights and basic needs. And have, being in, the, in the, the classroom helped a lot, actually, to communicate with the young generation and to learn from them. For me, as a Palestinian, I, I see a lot of connection with many communities all over the world and there are a lot of struggles going on like for example I the, the other day I I'm following that story in Sacramento with Stephen Clark and how he was shot eight bullets from the back and at the same time the ca uh, among the cases they were the 17 people they were shot and killed in Gaza the land day March 30th among them one of the case like the uh, a young uh, Palestinian, he was shot from the back. Actually, many of them, they shot from the back. But one case specific right now, they show it. This is why some uh, human rights now, they ask for uh, uh, more inter uh, investigation on that. They were shot from the back, and they were, doesn't, you know, there were no threat for the Israeli army from the Palestinian nonviolent. They were just, some of them, they were throwing some stones, and some, they were carrying flags, and just, they were screaming and chanting. The connection here is very clear between Sacramento, what's going on in Sacramento, and what's mm -hmm. going on in Gaza. It's the same case. Mm -hmm. And when you hear the, uh, read the report from a human rights organization in Gaza and listening to the lawyer of Stephen Clark, and, uh, he's, like you think he's defending the same case. Mm -hmm. And it's reflect exactly what's going on for between the two communities. At the same time with the Native American, there's a huge strong uh, like connection, reservation, and refugee camps, of course, there are some differences because uh, refugee camps actually we don't own the the land mm. the refugee camps the land that where i was born and grew up and we have still tiny house there it's rented united nations rented this land for 99 years mm. and they did that Who in did 1950 rent from? rented from the local people like the local palestinian they are living in bethlehem for example like my refugee camp they rented every refugee camp in Lebanon, Syria, and Jordan, West Bank. It is like uh, rented land. We don't own the land. Mm -hmm. And I remember in one of the cases actually in Jordan in 1988, where the owners of the land for Mukhayyam Jabal Hussein, Jabal Hussein uh, refugee camp, Al Hussein refugee camp in, uh, near the capital Amman, the owners of the land, they had the case and they won the case in the court. And they should evacuate all the refugees from the camp. And it was a huge problem. So the king in that period, King Hussein, intervened, inter he did an intervention and he blocked 
the 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 decision because what be refugees they will lose their land where they are living where they right, go right. yeah the same when you think about there's a reservation and you spoke about the six inches mm -hmm. where they live there and of course there are borders there and walls yeah. maybe the people they don't see this kind of borders and walls but they're uh, native american they can see it mm -hmm. for them and this is how we say there are walls and borders you can see it you can touch it you can have a photo like what they do with our wall. Many international people, they come tourists, they have a photo near the, the wall or in front of the wall. But there are other walls and barriers. You can't see it. It's mm -hmm. invisible walls. Only the people living under oppression. So I, I feel that we are, in a way or another, connected. The other uh, uh, connection, I feel there is a huge connection like between uh, us and every group, every community under oppression, no matter social, political, economical, there is a connection like in California where we will move sometime and you see these homeless refugee, I call it camps near the highways. All the time I say this is a refugee camp, like our refugee camp. Mm -hmm. And this is the connection. At the same time, the struggle here is very well connected. It's not just the description how they look and blah, 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 but it's the struggle. People, they are struggling for their basic rights and mm -hmm. to access their rights mm -hmm. and to, uh, to, acknowledge, to be acknowledged and recognized. They are, like, uh, com uh, they are communities where they lost their right, not lost, confiscated like, by power. The same for us. I, I believe this struggle is very well connected. And in basic way, just I say it, Israel received $4 billion every year minimum from United States. Mm -hmm. Imagine these $4 billion used to keep the schools in Chicago instead of close schools or in Oakland or anywhere in the United States. Or to help people who are homeless here in Brattleboro, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Something, oh, go ahead, Nick. So I just also, uh, we don't have much time left, but I just wanted to uh, say thank you for this whole week, honestly. The, Becca had asked me before Ziad came, why are, you know, what, if people ask us, why are we gonna say, why Palestine? Why are we talking about Palestine? Why is it important? Um, and I really think right now it's the, it's the center, uh, it's everything that's happening is, it feels like sometimes it's happening there first. So these new weapons that are being used uh, are, being, are being used first on Palestinians. So these new drones that they've come up with to drop tear gas from the sky instead of having them, having to have people there to, to uh, shoot canisters. The, the um, I'm sorry, the sur like the surveillance machines that are at the airport, those were first used on the Jordanian borders on Palestinians. So a lot of the surveillance, a lot of the militarism that's um, being developed inside of the inside of Palestine by the Israelis is being exported here to our neighborhoods, including our police from large cities being trained by the Israeli military. Like two people that you were on the panel with in UMass Amherst from Springfield, Springfield, Massachusetts, talking about how the Springfield Police Department is trained by the Israeli military forces and the, mm. the, the tactics that are used. And you think about Ferguson when all of this surplus military equipment uh, is coming into the police forces for relatively no cost to the police forces. Mm. Actually, for Israel, is a... For the Israelis, some of the, of, the, of the Israelis, they were victims of the Holocaust or their 
Barons, they were survivors from the Holocaust. Mm. And I say when the victim become a victimizer, they know how to hurt. In addition to that, Israel is, they invented their own styles. I call it, they invented mm -hmm. their own tools mm -hmm. to oppress the Palestinian people. And right now, they are an expertise. You will mm -hmm. find Israeli, Israel not just in the United States, in Auckland, or the police in Springfield, or mm -hmm. you have them all over. And the other day, we were speaking about the connection with Honduras. Mm -hmm. You find them, where is our dictatorships in the world? Mm -hmm. The Israelis, they are doing services yeah. for them. Mm -hmm. The Israeli army, when they retire, the officers, they find jobs in private companies right now. Because the world is not just political systems, you have the corporates working in security, and they find this kind of job. Um, the, I, it's very clear, go to Google the companies inside Israel, and how they function around the world. And don't forget, even the NGOs inside Israel, the NGOs, the non-government, like JNF, they consider it JNF, the Jewish National Fund, yeah. which they are responsible about destroying all our village. It's like NGO. But the reality, they are facilitating the ethnic cleansing of Palestinian on their land, from their land. And also, I think it's amazing that, you know, people in Gaza who have been living 12 years under siege with no, possi no possibility to get in or out mm -hmm. are at their borders right now with the, standing up without weapons, mm -hmm. without weapons against a military occupier who are shooting at them. Yeah. And they're still there. They're still there. They haven't left. They're not going to leave. They're planning on staying until May 15th, which will commemorate the Nakba, which was, as we said in Arabic, means the catastrophe when uh, the state of Israel took over Palestine. And so I just want to honestly say how uh, in awe I am of the Palestinian spirit and how much hope they have every day to keep resisting. Yeah. And I would say also um, it forces me to think about how I act more in solidarity every moment um, and how I've heard you talk a lot about this week the right of return and I am in support and I will do everything I can for the right of return of Palestinians to their land and I hope to be there on the day that we celebrate the right of return. <laughs> Thank you guys. This is what keep the hope because you feel you are not alone in this struggle. There are people all over and this is what's motivate to continue to do the struggle. Not just for me, it's for all the Russian people and for everyone when they are like receiving solidarity and giving, they are in solidarity with others. This is what's make the struggle viable and it's important and it will continue. So Nick, could you just tell our listeners about Monday night's event? Of course. So on Monday, we have a panel at North, in Northampton. We hope to see you there. It's from 7 until 9 o'clock at First Churches in, uh, North in Northampton on Main Street. I believe it's 129 Main Street. Um, you're invited. Bring all of your friends. Ziad will be there. And we hope to see you there. We are going to play one last song by Rim Banna. She is a Palestinian artist. She actually passed away this week after struggling with breast cancer for a, quite a long time. The song is called Fly Love. Thank you so much for being here, Ziad. Thank you.
a spray form of the opioid fentanyl. Effectively, what the New York Times reported last 